and welcome back to part two of the Peter Nygaard case. We're going to get into it, but if you haven't watched part one, definitely go back and watch that. Otherwise, this won't make sense at all. Terrible, Your Honor. He's really terrible. 1980, like I mentioned, um, Nygaard was actually charged in Winnipeg with the rape of an 18-year-old girl. And the judge ordered that all court proceedings would not be publicly shared. Why? Question mark don't really know especially because um the girl was 18 right like she was legal age so um in manitoba like you cannot name someone if they're under the age of 18 as it pertains to a criminal case uh, especially if they're the victim but she was 18 so they could have um made the situation public even if they didn't say her name but they chose not to uh but months later like after the case was going to trial um it was dropped because the victim would not testify. The Crown attorney at the time said that he advised the 18-year-old to go forward with the charge because she had adequate proof, I suppose, to, you know, warrant him actually being charged. But she refused. Um, the Crown attorney said that we put her on the stand and asked the appropriate questions, but she didn't want to say anything. And to me, it's super likely that the girl was paid off by Nygaard or she was too intimidated to go forward with anything. So the same way that he had called Casey been like, hey, do you need anything? Like, are you okay? Um, I'm assuming he did that to this girl as well and just kind of gave her enough hush money to where she was comfortable dropping the situation. And that paired with the fact that like, at this point, everyone in Winnipeg was under his thumb. Like, I don't know what they expected her to do. You know, like, I don't blame her at all. The situation is just atrocious and it's horrendous and I feel terribly for her. Um, the reporter who covered the case at the time said that in his office there was a passion pit that had a couch which turned into a bed and that there was a mirror on the ceiling. So this is something that he loves and, like, we all know what mirrors on the ceiling means and this man is just giving, like, very big ego. So, like, as he's literally raping girls he wants to watch himself raping girls that just, just makes me want to throw up to get into jonna larson um and her case kind of occurred in 1980 so jonna was a young single mother from rural denmark who came to canada to try and make her dream of becoming a seamstress come true um and she moved to winnipeg specifically so she was a self-taught seamstress and a designer and she was pretty good at it and she like wasn't doing very bad on her own in terms of getting her work out there and like her success. She wasn't doing bad, but she wanted to do better, you know? So in January of 1980, getting ready to work for Nygaard at an up-and-coming company, Tanger, and it was her first day. She was super excited. She had only heard great things and she was actually hired as a merchandising manager, so she wouldn't be reporting to Nygaard directly, um, and she figured that she would be in minimal contact with him throughout her employment, just because he's the boss, right? And she was just a merchandising manager, so like, why would she interact with him type thing? But this same morning that she's supposed to start work, she turned on her radio, um, only to hear that Nygaard of Tanjay was charged with raping a girl she said she remembers sitting there in shock thinking about like what do i do next how do like wh what am i supposed to do with this information you know uh, but she decided to go and work go into work um because she had just been hired it was paying really good money she had a daughter to take care of but also she again figured she would be in minimal contact with nygaard himself so when she started uh, work that morning, as she walked in, she remembered seeing the walls covered with posters of Nygaard, which like those same posters that I was talking about, like, you know, the ones. So she says, and this made me holler because I remember thinking the same type of thing when I was a kid too. Like she said, he looked like an overgrown teenager with his open shirt and his finger in his belt loops. And she remembered thinking that he looked ugly. And I I remember like doing the research for the case and everyone just talked about how good looking they thought he was and how attractive he was. And I'm just looking at all the pictures, even when he was younger, and I just don't see it. I don't see it. The man looks a little bit like a gremlin, like I don't see it. So 
she was told like when she went in that day by her managers that there was absolutely no truth to the allegations it was just someone coming after Nygaard because he was rich and successful and this type of thing happened all the time like he was often the target of young women trying to make a quick buck you lying why you always lying oh my god stop fucking lying so she remembers hearing this and then within six months the charges were dropped so unfortunately by the time the charges had dropped Nygaard had turned his attention to her so Jonna had only ended up working for Nygaard for 19 months and throughout this time she was screamed at, she was tormented, she was sexually harassed, she was raped and then eventually fired. So in the beginning like Nygaard seemed to be very happy with her work ethic and he took a liking to her uh, probably because she was young, thin, talented and very beautiful but mostly because she was young and very beautiful right those are his kind of two things that he is obsessed with so she was eventually promoted to the head of design and she would eventually become responsible for overseeing a staff of about eight women so Nygaard would always support her ideas but she says that this support would come at a cost a hidden cost now she remembers one day in particular they were she was doing a presentation in the boardroom with Nygaard and a bunch of other male execs when he approached her to model some of her own designs so of course this was exciting for her right this is a brand new opportunity like you like the things that i'm making and you want me to be the model for them like of course so while she was modeling like and she was modeling it for this group of execs like in this room right so as she was doing so he went up and touched her breast and he said we have to lift this because one of your breasts is too low he then would also like kneel down to inspect the hem of the outfit but he would just use this as an opportunity to look up her dress and this also to me it was just like okay this solidifies the the um this solidifies what i was thinking about oh my gosh where did my train of thought go this solidifies what i was thinking about the the underfloor cameras at nygaard k so um, as time went on, Nygaard would make Jonna model more provocative clothing, which would give him a chance to oogle and assault her further. She would always have to try on tight jeans and see-through tops, if not just for him, for a room full of other people, which made her extremely uncomfortable. But of course, she doesn't want to lose her job, so she's going to keep doing what she has to do. So Nygaard would also continually make sexual remarks about her in front of the other executives and staff members and no one would ever say anything and no one would ever stand up for her, which to me is horrendous because if there's a group of about 10 men standing around watching me get assaulted, I'm expecting someone to speak up on my behalf, but for everyone to just stand there and say nothing makes me feel like maybe this isn't that bad, right? You want to minimize your own experiences. You then also want to just forget that it ever happened but it keeps happening and no one's standing up for you just terrible so jonna says that she endured the treatment right because she needed the money right she was a single mom she had to support herself and also her child and the pay was good there was also perks and benefits so it wasn't just like oh i'm getting paid well it was like it was all around too good of a situation for her to feel comfortable leaving especially when she had no backup and she was alone in Canada. All her family was back in Denmark. So it was really just her she had to rely on. So now on one specific occasion, she was actually asked to make the trip to Asia, uh, specifically where he was sourcing fabric and manufactured his clothes. And these trips would actually take place quite often. Now on this specific trip, she says... Um, that now four years later the details the specific details are kind of a blur like for example the cities that they went to but what ended up happening to her was unforgettable so she says once that they landed in hong kong um she was shown her room by the manager and that's when she realized nygaard had booked her into the bridal suite weird but she was just like okay so when she got in there there was chocolate and stationery with her name on it and it was also connected to another room 
that was full of food. So she was just in awe at this point, right? Like she had never seen anything like this um, and she had never been able to afford anything like this. So she immediately noticed that a door to Nygaard's room was connected to hers and it made her uncomfortable and she kind of side-eyed the situation. So she was like, mm, especially thinking about the previous rape charge. So after she noticed this, she immediately went and asked the hotel staff to make sure that the door was locked so that she would be safe, she would be secure. So after she ate, um, she actually went to sleep because she was exhausted from the trip, right? Like that's a very long flight. And then the time change and everything. So it's just a long day. But in the middle of the night, she awoke startled because there was someone in her bed and that someone was Mr. Peter Nygaard. She was about to say something to him but he put his hand over her mouth and said don't worry you are a nice girl I'm not going to hurt you then proceeded to rape her. She said she felt dirty like she couldn't do anything in the situation um, and he said just before leaving well this is just it don't go to the police you won't get anything out of it so again just hitting home the fact that like he owned local police and also international police right like just everywhere he went he was protected um but after he finally left she said she went and she sat in a chair and she just cried she just sobbed because she didn't know what else to do She said that she felt that her livelihood was on the line and that she had to keep working on this trip even though she had just been raped. Like this is something horrendous that would cause so much pause and would require a lot of time to truly heal from. But the day after the rape, uh, she actually told a senior executive what happened and like in detail as she remembered it. And this man had the audacity to say that he didn't remember her ever saying anything. Which is just like, why are you covering for this man? Obviously she said something, otherwise she wouldn't say that she said something. So after returning to Winnipeg following this assault, um, Jonna was not raped again, but she was uncomfortable every single time she had to be around him. Of course, she has to work for her rapist and she has to act like he's not her rapist. So things remained fine for the most part until she got romantically and emotionally involved with a co-worker. So it was at this point, the verbal abuse that he regularly doled out, it ramped up. So he screamed at her literally all of the time and it was like she couldn't do anything right. That's how this made her feel. So in July of 1981, she was called to meet with a senior executive, the different one than the one that she had told she was raped. Um, and she was actually fired without explanation and she said she didn't see this coming at all she said it was at this point where she realized they were firing her that she threatened to go to the media um, and the police in order to report the rape so she went home you know that same day took all her stuff and she was like i'm getting out of here and i'm gonna go to the media about this because i kept quiet about this for the sake of my employment and then y'all had the audacity to fire me absolutely not Jonna was not having any of it okay but then later that same day after she was fired the two Nygaard employees popped up at her house where they told her that they would be shifting her firing to a resignation and she was then given a letter of reference and eight thousand dollars so again Nygaard is showing a pattern of paying women off for their silence and he realized that he could not afford for her to go to the media the police he wasn't super concerned about because he had them under his thumb but it was the media that he cared about because that could ruin his public image and that was the last thing he wanted he wanted to always be seen in the way that he wanted to be seen in so Nygaard denied everything to do with this rape to do with this assault and everything that followed right or and everything that led up to it because it wasn't just like this came out of nowhere it was like a slow build for her unfortunately of things she had to endure and face on a regular basis so the lawyer says that it's not true and he said that for any newspaper to publish such a serious allegation which isn't true could only be negligent and also grossly unfair and illegal people that like to throw that around i'm a lawyer Okay. 
I pretend to be a lawyer here. What's really unfair is the fact that this man has continued to assault hundreds of women everywhere he goes without any real genuine consequence. That's what's truly unfair. Not this woman speaking out about her experience with this nasty man. So Jonna and her daughter Zita would actually move back to Denmark in 1982 after months of being unable to find work anywhere in her field in Winnipeg. After Nygaard fired her, even though it was formally shifted to a resignation, um, she said that no one dared to speak to her. It was like he put uh, a curse or a hex or something on her. It was just like everyone avoided her like the plague type thing. So she said that she hopes that he is going to pay for some of his bad deeds in his living life. Now, not long after she was fired, Nygaard was actually given an award by the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce for Outstanding Canadian Distinction. And in 1986, he was given Winnipeg's Community Service Award. Ew, but this is important because the city knew at this point, right, about his charges, about his antics, and everything else that came in between. So it's like they were intentionally making it clear that they did not give a fuck about what he did. Um, he made money and he made the city look good and made the city have a good name. So they were going to keep uplifting him. So it's like, how do you possibly move forward after something like that when the city that you live in is showing you like, we don't care that he raped you and we don't care that he raped all these other girls either. Like, we don't care. So she actually wanted to come forward with her story in 1996 and the Winnipeg Free Press was going to publish it, but I'm assuming that under the pressure of Nygaard, they killed the story. So the pressure was not only coming from Nygaard, but also from a lot of high positioned Winnipeggers, like business people and kingpins who were friends of Nygaard, and they put pressure on the paper's publisher to kill the story. Uh, they didn't, they either didn't believe Nygaard did this, they either didn't believe Nygaard did these things, they knew he did it and they didn't care, or they were a part of it as well and they were covering their own asses. But because of Nygaard, like, Jonna actually didn't feel comfortable enough to come forward about her experiences until 2020. And she was actually very close friends with another Nygaard employee who was unfortunately subject to his sexual horrors and her name is Dale Dreffs. Dale's incidents also begin in 1980 um, after she was hired as Nygaard's executive assistant when she was only 25 years old, so also quite young. Um, and she said that he had a reputation around Winnipeg for being a very wealthy, good looking, and to me that good looking is always questionable, guy uh with a regs to riches story as he had quickly become very successful right he like i mentioned before climbed up that social ladder got to it so shortly after though she began working for him she actually regretted this decision of hers um and it all began when one day she was called into his office uh and his living quarters where he was sitting on the toilet with his pants down um another day when they were in a meeting, he ran his foot up her inner thigh, which like, ew. Um, and she says that he was constantly yelling at her. Like she said, it she was scared, but the situation overall was just very degrading. Um, it made her a nervous wreck and he was just overall like consistently degrading her. Um, and always like sexually harassing her any way that he could. So she was actually working the day that the rape charges were laid. Um, the ones that we had just talked about where the 18-year-old girl, her name wasn't mentioned. Um, but later when the case was thrown out, Nygaard had actually sent her to go and collect a box of his stuff that had been taken in as evidence. Um, and the box was labeled Nygaard Rape Case. And she said it was terrible to walk out of the building holding this box knowing that what the girl said was obviously very true and very valid um, and she knew this based off of her own experiences with him but also the experiences of her friend Jonna. So in 1990 Nygaard was hit with three different sexual harassment complaints which were filed with the Manitoba Human Rights Commission uh, but the records within the case weren't released to the public. They're still sealed to this day. 
but basically Nygaard paid to settle these complaints. Um, and a local paper at the time was actually able to interview two of the women and they were able to tell their story, uh, tell their side of what happened, what went down. So one of the women, one of the women who was a 27 year old travel coordinator said that while working for Nygaard um, throughout her employment, she repeatedly brushed off his touches, his gropes and his many sexual advances. Now, the other woman who media spoke to was a 39-year-old communications manager at the time, and she said that Nygaard had added skinny dipping to the agenda of their business meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So, while they were in the Bahamas, um, Nygaard was wearing a very small swimsuit, like a Speedo, um, and he was constantly grabbing at himself and his junk i suppose is what she was trying to say but didn't say uh, and whenever she would be called to his office throughout the time of her employment uh, she would find him half naked usually with his shirt and pants open uh, and he would stick his hands down the front of his pants like rubbing on himself which like just thinking about this crusty man doing this to these women who are just trying to work and exist it literally makes me want to throw up like it makes me sick so now we're going to get into April Tellick and her series of incidences occurred in 1993. So just a little bit of background on her. Um, April was born on April 29th, 1973 in North Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, she is an actress and a model. She got her first modeling job at 10 years old and at 13 she actually got a contract to model in Japan for a year. So she was like very successful from a very young age and she now has over a hundred acting credits. So um, in 1991 at 18 years old she met and befriended Angela Dyborn who is Peter Nygaard's, who is Peter Nygaard's niece and they actually met in her mother's clothing store, so that's Nygaard's sister, um, where one of April's friends worked. So April went in there to see one of her friends and eventually met Angela and soon they became friends. She said they weren't best friends, but they knew each other and they got along well, so they would hang out. Um, they would do like regular teen stuff, like go to movies, the beach, barbecues, parties, etc. So shortly after they kind of initiated this friendship, Angela moved to LA and she invited April to go and visit her, uh, to which April went. So like I said, they weren't great friends, but they were good enough friends that April was willing to go and see her uh, and that they stayed in touch after she had moved. So I mentioned she was very successful, even like from a very young age. So at 20 years old, her career was off to a really good start. Um, she had modeled in a TV ad for Gucci, she had modeled for Shiseido Cosmetics, uh, she had also become a spokesperson for Dairy Queen, and she actually won Miss Canada, and she went to the Philippines to participate in the Miss Asia Pacific Quest pageant in 1993. In the fall of 1993, Nygaard sent her a large box of free clothes, and she was thrilled, to say the least. Um, right, like very excited for this designer to be sending her all of these expensive products you know for free she didn't have to do anything to get them it was just a lovely gift so in november of 1993 at 20 years old nygaard had actually called her parents and told them that they wanted that he wanted her to come to winnipeg to model his signature line as soon as she got back from the philippines she was of course extremely excited. It was like one opportunity after the next, right? She felt like this was a very big deal for her career and just for herself at this point. So she was super excited. Um, but she and her family were told that Nygaard and his company would take care of everything. So the company arranged her flights and they told her that she would be staying at the executive suites. What executive suites? They did not specify, they just said executive suites. So it's just like, when you hear that, it sounds really nice, right? And if you're like, oh, I'm gonna get to stay in luxury, oof, you know? So she was hyped, she was super excited about it. But once she actually landed in Winnipeg, her friend Angela, right, like Nygaard's niece, picked her up and drove her to Nygaard's warehouse on Notre Dame, right, in Winnipeg, where he also had an apartment within the building. She was then informed that there was only one suite at this location and that Nygaard would be staying there as well. Which is like weird, 
but she's like okay maybe this is the way that they do things right she's 20 she's not really sure and this just seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up so after she was dropped off and left alone with Nygaard uh, she tried to kind of talk her way out of the situation try to get him to take her somewhere else try to just let her go to another hotel like just do something but everything escalated very quickly she said that he immediately pulled out his penis and he said that he wanted april to give him oral uh, she begged to leave but nygaard said she couldn't because he didn't want her to tell someone he then flipped her around while trying to rape her uh, while she was fighting and she was actually able to get away from his grasp and she got to the door trying to get out but then she realized that it was locked and she had no way out she said she didn't want to be killed strangled or beaten um and so she realized she had one of two options right she could fight or she could not fight and kind of let it happen um and one of the one of the options would kind of guarantee her a greater chance at survival right so she did what was necessary for her survival at this point because no one knew where she was so no one could help her no one could get to her so like i said no one had heard from her right so she, after not hearing from her daughter her mom jackie um called the rcmp to report her daughter as missing she said it was such an awful day and such a terrible experience right you just let your daughter go somewhere for the first time you know with this man and like i said there had been whisperings there had been murmurings about him but they were like no he's a good guy you know like trying to give him the benefit of the doubt i guess which when someone has a rape allegation there is or more i can't even say one because he had multiple rape allegations at this point there's no giving them the benefit of the doubt but Nygaard had actually held April captive for days while he drugged and raped her. So after about three days, so Nygaard had held her captive for days while he drugged and raped her. So after about three days of this, continually, right? Horrific, absolutely horrific. While Nygaard was sleeping, she snuck, she snuck to the bathroom uh, because she knew that he kept a phone in there. So she called someone she knew in winnipeg who was also related to nygaard um who said that he would do whatever necessary to come and get her because he knew what his what his relative was about so as she went back to the room she grabbed her bag threw on a coat and left very quickly um and she realized that a key had been left in the door so she could actually leave right like it wouldn't be that crazy for this guy to try and come and save her right she was able to just actually exit the building at this time so she quickly found herself in a dark and empty warehouse right like it was the middle of the night so the security guard found her and he was trying to return her back to where Nygaard was at but she was eventually able to convince him to just let her go you know which thank god for that um and when he let her out she was alone it was on the street she was barefooted she was wearing absolutely nothing but a jacket and it's january so like it's cold it's so cold in january in winnipeg like so extremely cold like ridiculous so not that long though after she was able to get out of the warehouse her friend did arrive and he actually drove her to his house so once she got there she called her mom and her mom um called the rcmp who then sent the Winnipeg Police Service to check on her. Um, the man who picked her up also later said that when she was picked up, she was fully clothed, she was composed, and she had made no mention of being raped, drugged, or held captive by Nygaard. Now, this is obviously a lie, and this was what he had to do um, in order to protect his family and not be persecuted by his own family, because Nygaard's reach at the time was literally like so wide, so vast so after she was able to escape um, and she was safe she actually told her friend what had happened in hopes of receiving support but instead angela told her that she'd watched the tapes and she didn't think that april fought that hard disgusting april says that she felt threatened by nygaard and she was too afraid to tell anyone else about what he did to her um, she suffered horrendous nightmares of the incident for literally decades after 
Um, but the nightmares finally ended when she had a dream that she beat Nygaard up to the point where he wasn't able to get back up. And she says that the dream in part gave her the strength to come forward and tell her story. So after she had arrived back home, April and her parents met with an RCMP officer named David Whalen. Um, fearing backlash from Nygaard, her family advised her not to report the rape, but she did tell David, like the RCMP officer, that she was held against her will. David conf like now confirms this story, and he says that at the time he thought there was more, but and he thought that she may have been sexually assaulted, but he didn't press things further. <laughs> Which is like this is exactly why the police are so useless because if you think something happened and you're not going to press further but you're not going to investigate further like literally if he had been stopped in this moment so many things like the next 16 pages of notes would not have been able to happen so it's just ridiculous and infuriating to me that he's like yeah i knew something happened but i just didn't do anything about it like why are you admitting that you should be ashamed are you not embarrassed in 2020, April actually filed a lawsuit against Angela for being a key conspirator with Nygaard and a key cog in his vast in his vast sex trafficking network that ended up playing a role in her rape and confinement. Um, she says that Angela played a large role in everything and it's not okay, like she has to be held accountable. So in the lawsuit, April says that Angela was paid salary, travel, and lodging in exchange for her participation in everything. And in order to receive these benefits, um, Angela continues to conspire with Nygaard to cover up everything that he's done and everything that she knows of that he's done. So Angela was actually responsible for facilitating travel arrangements, lodging, and benefits for Nygaard's girlfriends. Um, and she would regularly transport victims to doctors who were also on Nygaard's payroll so they could receive abortions and treatments for STIs in secret. Angela, of course, denies everything and she gave her own version of events, right? And it's very far off from what April said, which lets me know like Nygaard just told her to lie because there's no way that two people are going to have such completely different stories unless you're just trying to protect yourself and obviously protect her uncle. So Angela claims that she and April were never close. She says that they briefly met um, through April's mom at a store that she was managing at the time. And she says that April's mom was fascinated with her uncle Peter Nygaard and his clothing line, clearly aware that Angela was in fact related to him. She says that April's mom had been trying to secure a clothing sponsorship for April through Angela. And she said that she did not follow up with April or her mother regarding this opportunity because that was handled by the PR department of the company had nothing to do with her. She also says that April never went to visit her in LA and that she also wasn't even in Winnipeg when April says she drove her to the warehouse. She says that she never recruited models for the company and she wouldn't have told April that Nygaard wanted her to model for the company. So basically she just lied, but this lawsuit is still ongoing. Nygaard was actually sued again in 1996, uh, but this time it was by an LA-based employee. And she said that she was, she says that she was forced to spend the night in bed with him and forced to engage in sex. Um, after the first incident happened, she rejected any further advances, and because she kept rejecting him, he just fired her. Um, but this lawsuit was dismissed for unknown reasons, so it's not known if she settled outside of court um, or if she decided to just withdraw the case. It's not really clear. So now we're going to get into these pamper parties and kind of what they are how nasty they were um and why they were called this so these were parties that nygaard routinely held right he routinely had them it was like at least once or twice a week and in varying locations um but the women would be invited to these parties uh and they would be deceived about what their involvement was obviously because if they knew they were going there to be assaulted by this old man and his old friends like obviously they wouldn't turn up they wouldn't go 
but they think that they're just being paid to hang out with them you know just being paid to look being paid to look pretty just sit around and be pampered right hence the name pamper party but in reality what was happening was they're going to be paid off for their silence about whatever he did or whatever um, his associates did to them whatever they wanted and forever how for however long they wanted as well so during these parties uh, the women would be ranked based on their physical appearance they would be ranked a b c or d and he said that Nygaard himself said that if a woman or girl had a big round booty then they were automatically an a So he told all attendees to wear clothes that were as revealing as possible, as tight as possible. Like, it, it's best if you just basically showed up not wearing very much clothing at all. So if you did show up wearing clothes that he deemed to cover too much, you were then given different clothes to change into, which usually consisted of skimpy swimsuits, small tops, tiny skirts, you know, so you could use those floor cameras. Men were not allowed into these parties unless they were from what he called high society. Um, and to recruit for these parties and to recruit for other victims, he used known and unknown networks of associates, other victims, as well as his own employees, like Nygaard employees, ones that worked for him personally, but also ones that worked for his company. So like I mentioned, these parties would usually happen at least once a week on Sundays, but other parties would happen throughout the week as well. Sundays was just like the day that they would be the biggest. Um, so the rapes took place during or after what Nygaard called pamper parties in his homes in the Bahamas and LA. And he would often transport women from these parties to his varying residences via private plane to Winnipeg, New York, Toronto, and China. So his staff were actually instructed to go out there and recruit young women for the weekly parties to make sure that there were enough women. So when the guests checked in, they were entered into a database and they were ranked right using A, B, C, or D. Um, and pictures were sent directly to Nygaard to review of the women. So it's said that at the time he would select his potential victims for that night, like right when they sent him all of the images and he would rate them and pick who he wanted. And the lawsuit states that Nygaard has a or had a database of over 7,500 girls, right? So they're under the age of 18 and also women. If the women had agreed to sleep with Nygaard, which it's not really them agreeing because it's coercion, right? This isn't something that they willingly chose to go there and do. This is something that like they got there and they're like, so are you going to do it? Are you not going to do it? So if they agreed, then they would be paid afterwards. And if they didn't agree, then they would be forced to drink. They would have drinks shoved down their throats. The drinks would be laced with cocaine or ecstasy or some sort of other drug that gave um, the men full control over them. And they would then be taken away from the rest of the group and they would be raped, assaulted, and then paid hush money. So either way you were getting paid. It's just, did you, are you gonna, give up and let it happen or are you going to fight and it's going to happen anyway there was no really like it's not going to happen you're going there for a pamper party if someone likes you you're being raped and that's just kind of the end of it so Nygaard kept these girls coming back because he would give them monthly allowances gifts free travel dental work plastic surgery as well as immigration assistance and even abortions so he was able to put, and he called them his girlfriends. That's what he called his victims, I guess, to make him feel himself, right? Like feel better about what he was doing, but they were not his girlfriends. These are his victims, right? So, but because he had such, I want to say affection. I No, affection is not the right word. Because he wanted to control them. That is what it is. He put them under the Nygaard company payroll by saying that they were models or his personal assistants. So that's how he got away with using company money to pay off his victims consistently. So also once you were considered to be one of his official girlfriends, he put them under constant surveillance and they were not allowed to leave the home without permission. He even controlled what they wore, how they styled their hair and their outfits. 
So Beverly, Beverly Peel, who is a supermodel, um, says that women were held like prisoners at these parties. She said it was like pussy casting, like a bunch of girls parading around for Nygaard to pick from. He'd promised them modeling contracts and campaigns in New York, and he would then disappear with two of them, and then he would come back and say, okay, okay, who's next? So it's like, even though he would pick his victims, it wasn't like he was just picking one or two. He was raping like as many women as he could at these parties consistently. So she also, Beverly also said that he would collect passports and then you would just be stuck at Nygaard K. And then you would be locked inside of rooms that had codes and you wouldn't know what the code was. So you wouldn't be able to get out. So you were literally like locked inside. And Beverly actually signed a three-year contract to be the face of Nygaard in 2003, where she was sexually assaulted, like she was raped and he actually impregnated her on the first day of her contract. Yeah, just horrific. So she said it changed her demeanor um, before she was able to only see the good in people and now she was only able to see the bad. She said that once he made her watch him have sex during a business meeting, so they were talking about the creation of her own line, like business related things. And then girls would come in and then he would literally like, it's not clear if this was consensual or if these were others of his girlfriends, right? So he would sleep with the girls in front of her, like have sex with them right in front of her while he's still talking to her about business. Disgusting! She said that Nygaard does not understand the word no. In his world, no means yes, right? There was never a time where he couldn't get something that he wanted and he didn't act any differently when it came to the women that he assaulted. So in a documentary about Nygaard's assaults named Unseemly, Nygaard raped dozens of women. He would intentionally impregnate them and then he would force them to get abortions so that he could collect the stem cells from the fetus and this was really weird to me and I was like this is like some conspiracy stuff but it wasn't really because this was a huge reason of why he was so involved in the 2012 Bahamian election because that man who got elected as president prime minister I don't know which one it is in the Bahamas but he got elected because he promised that he would pass whatever stem cell laws Nygaard wanted. Nygaard believed that the use of these stem cells would keep him young, keep him fresh, as he continued to age like rotten cheese. So overall though, the pamper parties were known for their free food, their free food, their free drinks and spa treatments. <clears throat> and they would and they would primarily happen in Marina del Rey, California and the Bahamas at um Nygaard K. So in the Bahamas, um, Nygaard built a pleasure dome in the form of a Mayan temple and a disco area which featured a stripper pool. Um, he would also host sexual swaps with friends and business associates who would bring a date to trade for sex with one of his girlfriend's victims. Um, the girls and women who were brought there, they were not informed that they were being brought there for the purpose of sex or being traded for sex, but they would be pressured uh, to comply through manipulation, degradation, and threats, which obviously you're going to be intimidated by these, these men who hold significant amount of power and they have a lot of money as well. So these girls would actually often be brought to swingers clubs in New York City, Miami, Los Angeles and Winnipeg. Yeah, Winnipeg as well. So he would routinely pressure the girls into sleeping with other men so he could sleep with whoever he wanted once he got there, right? He just wanted to pawn them off. He wanted to rape somebody else for the night. So the girls, even when they would be brought back and forth for these swinger clubs at, to these swinger clubs and at these swinger parties, um, they weren't allowed to leave and they needed his permission to literally do anything. And this was a rule that was enforced by his own employees. So if they caught you kind of sneaking out, like they're gonna snitch on you. 
so it was like he had his own police as well which is a very horrific concept because he also had the police on his payroll so it's like he if you wanted to get away there was no way for you to actually get away so Nygaard consistently referred to his victims as girlfriends and made everyone do so despite how young some of them were like literally 13 14 years old being called girlfriends dating this man who is literally old enough to be their grandfather so um the pamper parties began consistently in 1995 so that's basically as soon as he started to climb the social ladder um and his lines his pockets were completely lined and he also lined the pockets of his buddies so the year this happened is kind of unclear but if you were in nygaard's capacity or i shouldn't say his capacity if you were anywhere in nygaard's reach then like you were likely going to be assaulted that's just the type of person that he was and it was very unfortunate for all of the women who worked for him and didn't know or knew and couldn't do anything else because they needed the money right they were reliant upon it so um his ex-housekeeper Maradel Kabushia said that she was drugged and then assaulted by Nygaard um she remembers that her vision one night was getting very blurry uh, and she was all of a sudden just like very very dizzy and like lightheaded she remembers she couldn't feel her hands um and she was hearing him talk and as she was hearing him talk she remember she remembers that she couldn't function anymore like she couldn't control her body um she couldn't control her movements right so she was trying to get up and get away from him and she couldn't she said that peter was just on top of her and she kept trying to push him away she kept thinking like peter get off of me what are you doing but she couldn't verbalize anything she couldn't fight back and when she woke up the next morning she was there by herself no one was around and there was money beside her in 2006 he actually was facing a series of tax issues with the government of canada which the irony right like you have so much money so like taxes shouldn't even be a concern for you literally at all but after moving to the bahamas and staying there for at least six months out of the year he claimed to be a non-resident of canada and he claimed that as a result he wasn't required to pay taxes on income generated outside of canada now he was making a lot of money outside of canada because like i mentioned he had a bunch of stores across north america and he also had a lot of um varying business dealings in america as well so he was just and then also like china and all those other places he's just making a lot of money from like varying sources in 2006 the tax ministry challenged nygaard you know and they challenged that notion by letting him know that he actually owed an additional 15 million in taxes which again i feel like that's not that much for this man he could have paid that with ease but he just didn't want to so Nygaard contested the assessment and he said that he had cut residential ties with Canada in 1985 as he had been primarily living in the Bahamas at this point. Now this was a lie because for the majority of his life he was still spending at least six months in Winnipeg, um, Falcon Lake, or just Canada in general but he never did end up paying any additional taxes so he just got away with that as well into remember his crusty girlfriend i was tell her is the last person who peter was in relationship with was swaylin so swaylin was born on may 18th 1989 and she often goes by nickname by the nickname sue so she is a supermodel former play bunny model former play bunny former playboy bunny uh and video vixen and she can be seen in r kelly chris brown snoop dogg and red hot chili pepper music videos amongst many others um and she's also an actress previously appearing in video girl dysfunctional friends and still a teen movie now the time that i'm doing the the research for this case um she has millions of followers on instagram which her and Nygaard used to their advantage for all of the sickness that they had going on. How her and Nygaard actually met is extremely unclear, but they have been photographed together as early as 2007. So a hot minute, right? 
But shortly after that, uh, that they were first photographed together, she became his favorite girlfriend and also recruiter. And she acted like his madam, you know what I mean? Like finding a consistent flow of young models and impressionable women to be raped, sexually assaulted, and sexually battered by Nygaard. So she was setting them up, you know? So for at least five years, she lived in Nygaard's Marina Del Rey compound in LA. And she received cash, a salary, jewelry, plastic surgery, stem cell injections, and cars in exchange for her twisted services. And she herself also had to sleep with Nygaard, which is unclear if she really wanted to or if she just did this because she wanted the things that he would provide for her, the lifestyle that he could provide because of the excessive amounts of money that he had and the excessive connections in which he made over the years. So on October 22nd, 2020, a former victim of Nygaard's and Sue's actually filed a lawsuit against Sue in the state of Florida. So the woman who was now 29 years old had actually fallen victim to Sue when she was, had fell victim to Nygaard, sorry, because of Sue when she was only 18 years old. So the girl had been a longtime follower, admirer, and fan of Sue after seeing her years ago in a Chris Brown music video. So in 2010, she decided to just like leave a little message to Sue on Twitter, not thinking she would respond, just like, I just want to tell you how much I love you, how much I admire you, how much I look up to you, how much I want to be you. Like it was on that type of vibe. So Sue actually followed her back and replied to her message. And she said that she was freaking out and she was so excited because she thought that Sue was just extremely beautiful and amazing and she just wanted to be just like her. So to have the opportunity to speak with her and be friends with her was like blowing her mind at this point. She never thought that the opportunity would present itself. So the pair would go on to speak pretty consistently and in one of their conversations, Sue had actually invited this young girl to a party in Miami. So the girl went, of course, right? Like who's gonna pass up that opportunity? So she went and she had a really, really good time. And after the party, she was asked to go to a fashion designer friend's private island for a fun party weekend. A setup, right? So she was told by Sue that they would fly her out and it would be amazing, that there was just so much to do with jet skis, parasailing and she told her it's a billionaire's private island so you're it's luxury honey you're gonna be living the life you've always wanted so of course the girl accepted you know and trusted her and she was thrilled she said she thought she was getting an insight into the celebrity lifestyle and she thought that since she was now connected with sue she would also become a celebrity right this is just everything she had always wanted and she was finally happening for her so once the pair actually got to the island uh, this young girl was told why she was in fact actually there and sue told her that she had to have sex with nygaard it wasn't up for discussion it was a requirement of being on the island and being on his property sue told her that she shouldn't worry because sex with nygaard wasn't that bad and it would be really fast and easy what the hell is even that so obviously the girl did not want to do this she told her i don't want to do this but sue was like you don't have a choice you have to do it so the pair then went upstairs to a bedroom where nygaard was in the room and sue eventually left her alone with nygaard so nygaard wastes no time right he immediately pushes her down onto the bed and holds her down as she verbally repeatedly is telling him like no I don't want this. This isn't okay. Uh, and he proceeds to rape her. So the next morning, he gave her $500 as payment for the rape. And because of this incident, she suffered physical, psychological, financial, and reputational harm. She felt like she couldn't breathe. And in that moment, she says a lot of her light and happiness was in fact taken from her. Sue, of course, denies all involvement and says that the claims are simply not true, which is ironic because in August of 2019, she went out to see Nygaard at Falcon Lake, Manitoba to do damage control because they knew that the authorities were finally on their asses 
after everything that they had done, right? So they were coming up with what their story would be as things started to go downhill. So at the time of these meetings, Sue was told to lie and say that she was always with Nygaard and she was always with him for extended periods of time so that she could act as his alibi. Um, and she returned to Winnipeg once again in June of 2020 to further establish the lies that they would tell. And the lawsuit um, against her was eventually stayed and the judge said that it will remain that way until Nygaard's US charges are dealt with, which we'll get into those charges in a minute. But Melissa Howe, um, also a former Playboy bunny, as well as Lil Wayne's ex-girlfriend, was another person scouted by Sue uh, with the intention of, you know what I mean, them eventually being raped by Nygaard. So Melissa dated Wayne from 2017 to 2019, and so she was running in that elite circle at the time. So in April of 2017, she was shooting a music video in Hollywood when Sue approached her and invited her to Nygaard's mansion for his infamous pamper parties. Um, and she of course accepted the invitation because it sounded like fun, like who doesn't want to go and get pampered for free, you know? So when she did pull up to the Marina del Rey Palace, she found 10 other young models, like all very young, very beautiful. Uh, there were chefs around like serving food and there were about seven beauticians who were giving manicures and pedicures so full service treatment um, and as she was getting a manicure Nygaard came up to her and talked to her he said hello um, and he mentioned that he liked her accent because she's from London so she has a British accent and not too long after she arrived Sue started to push alcohol on all of the women and she had like a lot of tequila shots, Melissa said, like a lot. And she was trying to say everyone like, come on, let's drink, let's drink, let's drink. But Sue herself, she wasn't drinking um, like at all. But she was trying to get Melissa and another specific girl drunk. So Melissa made it very clear that like she's not a drinker, uh, but she was continually offered drinks by Sue. So after being at the party for a couple of hours, um, Sue then tried to get her to join Nygaard, who was alone in his bedroom. She says as soon as it got dark outside, Sue told her, hey, Peter wants to talk to you, go upstairs to his bedroom. Melissa to herself was like, what the fuck? Uh, time to get out of here. So she doesn't say this though to Sue, right? She just says it to herself. But then Sue keeps trying to push her to go up and leave her alone with Nygaard. And she wasn't comfortable at all with this, like at all. She said she knew the situation was extremely sketchy, was extremely dodgy, uh, and she needed to get out of there for her own safety. So now being this, the girl that she is, when Sue wasn't looking, Melissa was able to find an escape route. And she said she knew she had to get out of there because she felt like something bad was going to happen if she didn't. It was like a gut instinct she had, and so she followed it, and she was lucky enough to not have been assaulted by him. But if she hadn't followed this instinct, like she most definitely is aware, and she knows that she would have become one of Sue and Nygaard's many victims. Oh, in 2011, and we're going to talk about Bianca McKinney. So Bianca was the sole plaintiff on a lawsuit that was filed by Michael Artin in 2011 and she said she didn't know anything about the suit until a year after it had been filed and she said she didn't know that she was the sole plaintiff either also until a year after it had been, it had been filed and she said that it put a huge target on her back. Now Bianca was a model for Nygaard and in 2011 this lawsuit was filed against Nygaard and in the suit uh, it said that she was held hostage by Nygaard um, against her own will and wishes of course um, and this was happen this happened in the Bahamas during a shoot. Bianca says that she believes that she was used as a pawn in the feud between Louis Bacon and Peter Nygaard uh, because of the filing of this suit so the suit was filed right and she says it was done against her wishes and she didn't okay the suit being filed and so it was dismissed only six months later which 
didn't make a whole lot of sense because she said she didn't know anything about it until a year later so how was it how is it that you knew about it a year later but then it was dismissed six months after but it was eventually dropped because there was insufficient prosecution what that means i don't really know that's just what it said um but bianca herself she says that she tried to get the, to the bottom of everything after she learned about it all in late 2015 but after the suit was filed her home was vandalized with racial slurs swastikas and pictures of penises um and black n-word uh bitch and swastikas were spray painted all over her home she says she was shocked to learn that she had sued nygaard in 2011 and the lawyer michael artin who filed the lawsuit admitted that he had in fact been work this is allegedly he said that he had in fact been working for louis bacon to advance his vendetta against nygaard and that was his response when she confronted him this to me is very sketch because this is like the exact wording that nygaard himself uses so i really doubt that this is what really happened but when artin was contacted about the incident himself right aside from what bianca says he says that the complaint was dismissed because she couldn't afford to go forwards he claims that she said it was a good idea via email so there's paper trail of it and he also denied ever working for louis bacon um bianca's lawsuit like she now filed another lawsuit um and she accused atrin and or artin sorry Martin and Louis Bacon of vandalizing her property in an effort to intimidate her. Um, the initial lawsuit filed against Nygaard had claimed that Bianca was required to escape from Nygaard's compound in the Bahamas and to like she had to seek police assistance in order to hide from Nygaard because she wasn't supposed to get out right but she then after all of this happened right she claimed that none of this occurred and she went on a public campaign tour to outline how nygaard wasn't responsible now it is possible that this was done in an attempt to protect herself um as it can be intimidating and very dangerous to be the only model named in a suit especially being a black model right like super intimidating but she now claims that nobody was held hostage but this was all a lie that was made up and created by louis to take down nygaard obviously that is not what really happened right this is the truth that nygaard made up and put out there or encouraged her to put out there or forced her to put out there for the sake of her own livelihood right she then filed a lawsuit against louis bacon in 2016 which if she didn't have the money to go through with the first lawsuit where did the money come to go through with the one against louis from, from peter nygaard that's the answer it's peter in this lawsuit she says that her previous lawyer um was not respecting her interests you know like but at the time she thought he was and that he would keep client attorney privilege so she did disclose to the lawyer um and his personal investigator of highly private highly confidential and intimate personal information and details of her experiences traveling with nygaard in complete confidence of that client attorney privilege this quote was out there in a statement and this is like literally i'm this is exactly what it says louis bacon founder of more capital management and a billionaire with purported ties to the ku klux klan is perversely obsessed with his neighbor apparel mogul peter nygaard over the past decade bacon has engaged in a vicious and unrelenting smear campaign against nygaard routinely filing lawsuits against him with completely unset i can't say this word unsubstantiated and over-the-top allegations all in an attempt to ruin nygaard's reputation this whole quote to me makes it very very clear that like nygaard put her up to this those are exactly the words that he would use like but essentially louis does have more money 
but Nygaard is more connected in the areas that affect her and her career, right, as a model. So of course that can be more intimidating. But this quote from her, her new lawyer also makes it very clear that like Nygaard put her up to this. So it says that the litigation has always been about a billionaire investment banker intentionally harassing, intimidating, and stalking a poor, disabled black woman to further his selfish vendetta against another billionaire. These are literally the exact words that Niger himself uses throughout his own postings. And he has a website, his own website, defending himself and saying that all of the stuff that we're talking about is fake and it's all made up by Louis Bacon. Um, so this basically just solidified my suspicion that like Bianca, this isn't what she wanted to do. She felt like she had to backtrack for her own safety, for her own protection, uh, for her own livelihood, right? At the time, right, 2011, Nagard still had a lot of power. Um, and so he wasn't someone who you wanted to publicly go up against. And that brings us to the end of part two in the Peter Nygaard case. Tune back in for part three where we discuss his downfall and everything that followed afterwards.